Hello, podcast listeners. Today is another beautiful day where we get to be able to talk about the stock market and what's happening with certain news events. Friday was a pretty slow day overall, but we did happen to manage to find some articles that we will be talking about on today's podcast. I mean, today the markets aren't looking too hot right now as the recording of this video, but or podcast actually, but at the end of the day, it's the market and the market's going to dictate a lot of things. Some articles that we are going to be talking about today, we're going to first talk about Elon Musk, how he aims to quintuple Twitter's revenue to $26.4 billion by 2028. We're going to also talk about Goodyear Tire and how their first quarter results came in. And then we'll get into more serious stuff about Starbucks and the union talks that are happening currently. Apparently, some of them are happening with the White House. And finally, which I think is the biggest news that was hardly talked about on Friday, U.S. lawmakers to open chips and China bill negotiations. With that being said, guys, before we start today's podcast, I have to remind you that I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about on this on this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please speak to your own financial advisor before investing in anything because they understand your financial situation better than I do. This is for entertainment purposes only and for information for those who wish to seek out information currently about recent events that are happening. With that being said, let's begin today's article talk. First, Musk aims to quintuple Twitter's revenue by $26.4 billion by 2028, the New York Times. New Elon Musk is aiming to increase Twitter's annual revenue to $26.4 billion by 2028, up from $5 billion last year, the New York Times reported on Friday, citing a pitch desk presented by the world's richest man to investors. Advertising will fall to 45, 45% of total revenue under Musk down from 90% in 2020, generating $12 billion in revenue in, tw in, in 2028, while subscriptions are expected to pull in another $10 billion according to the report. The head of the electric vehicle maker Tesla Inc. also aims to increase Twitter's cash flow to $3.2 billion in 2025 and $9.5 billion in 2028, the newspaper reported citing the presentation. It's going to be interesting to see if Elon is actually able to pull this off. I mean, if there's anyone who's going to be able to increase a company's revenue, it will probably be Elon Musk. Pretty smart dude. Dude's for free speech. So, I mean, I could see it actually happening potentially at the end of the day. But it's also, it it's going to see, it's probably going to also change the landscape for the social media game in the long term if he's able to pull this off. The article goes on to say, the billionaire has promised to revitalize the company and expand the number of users by cracking down on the spam bots and reducing the amount of uh, moderation to facilitate more free speech. After the closure of the deal, Musk is expected to become the Twitter's temporary CEO. A person familiar with the matter told Rutgers on Thursday. Among his other goals, Musk expects the social media company to bring in $15 million from a payment business in 2023 that will grow to about $1.3 billion by 2028. In what the New York Times cited the document as saying, we need to keep an eye on to see what happens. I mean, this could be interesting at the end of the day. I mean, maybe if Elon takes it uh, private for a while and they start making money, potentially Twitter can go back on Wall Street. And that's when the real game changer comes for people making money. Those who are currently in it, kind of jealous of you if this actually does go through and you decide not to sell your shares and just keep holding on to them. But it's still going to be interesting to see how Elon goes through and be able to potentially increase the revenues of this company. Something to keep an eye out. I mean, I'm expecting them to continue. 
um, at least the newspaper articles to keep writing articles about it just to see if Elon Musk is successful. Because if he fails, they're going to want to be able to jump on it and just say, look, he's a terrible CEO, even though he's helped create Tesla, which is becoming one of the most, I want to say profitable, but one of the most valuable brands out there currently to date. Next article, Goodyear Tire and Rubber's first quarter results beat streets views despite supply chain woes, macro headwinds. If there's one sector of the economy, I personally don't see getting affected a whole lot potentially right now, even if we had a downturn or if we're in this recession that they keep talking about, I don't expect tires to be affected that much. I mean, people still have to drive. People still have to drive to go to work. People want to drive to go on vacations when they can. And so I expect tires to potentially do okay. But the article says, Goodyear Tire and Rubber on Friday reported better than expected first quarter results driven by the highest revenue in three months of a year. In a decade, despite ongoing supply chain issues, impacts from the Russian-Ukraine war and the growing COVID-19 restrictions in China. For the three months through March, the, the tire company adjusted per share earnings fell to 37 cents from 43 a year earlier, slowed by increased taxes and interest expense. Net sales for the quarter rose to $4.91 billion from $3.5 billion, led mainly by the company's acquisition of Copper Tire. Analyst survey by Capital IQ projected earnings per share of $0.21 cents on revenue of $4.7 billion. Quote, it's clear from our results that we continue to execute strategies to offset inflation with our teams uh, driving a 17% increase in our revenue per tire during the quarter. Goodyear Chief Executive Richard Kramer said on a conference call, according to the Capital IQ transcript, the, the copper tire merger and the benefit of strong pricing action across the company's key markets pushed the merger adjustment segment operating income for the quarter up almost 40%, according to Kramer. Goodyear's first quarter tire unit volume rose 29% year over year to $45 million, while the replacement and original equipment tire unit volume grew 35% and 9%. 9% respectively. And the American sales surged 63%. Tire unit volume rose 44%, while replacement tire unit volume grew 55%. Sales in Europe, Middle East, and Africa region increased 16%, while Asia Pacifica sales grew 15%. Like I said, it's tires. I mean, I know we have a supply chain issue on the car side currently right now of new cars. That could affect Goodyear tire going forward. But if there's anything I do expect, like I said, if there's a recession were to happen, like either sometime this year, or maybe, like I said, maybe we're already in this recession. I'm expecting tires to still be somewhat profitable currently. And the only reason I say that is, I mean, you're not going to be driving without tires and it's not like we're going to be going to ride horses around, but at the end of the day, tires, I mean, good for Goodyear report, reporting decent earnings with supply chain issues, but I also just think it's just potential supply and demand because people want to get out and about currently and tires are just, you just need tires if you want to be able to go anywhere these days. So good for you. Goodyear. Next article, Starbucks asked white house for equal time after Biden met with union leaders. We've talked about this a lot. The recent trend of unionizing it's getting, uh, starting to gain momentum a little bit, at least uh, potentially in the Starbucks area. It says, Starbucks Corp has asked for a meeting with the U.S. President Joe Biden administration after unionized workers talked to the White House officials on Thursday, saying in a letter that most of its employees do not want to be members of the union. In a letter dated Thursday and released Friday, the company said it was deeply concerned that Workers United, which is organizing hundreds of U.S. Starbucks locations, 
was invited to the meeting while not inviting official Starbucks representatives. The White House declined to comment. Of course, the White House declined to comment. On Thursday, Biden met with workers and labor organizers seeking to represent workers at Amazon.com Inc., Starbucks, and other employers. Attendance included Christian Smalls, who leads the Amazon Labor Union, and Laura Garza, a Starbucks employee working with Workers United. During the meeting, Biden said, when I ran for president, I made a commitment that I would be the most pro-labor union president in the history of America, according to a video expert released by the Video White House Friday. Starbucks said in a letter that it lack of representation discounts the reality that the majority of the partners opposing being members of a union and the unionization tactics being deployed by Workers United. The coffee chain refers to its Bartistas and other employees as partners. Workers at more than 50 U.S. Starbucks cafes have elected to join Workers United while five stores voted against the union out of roughly 240 altogether and have sought to hold elections since August. Workers United is affiliated with the Service Employees International Union. I'm curious to know how many of these Starbucks at the end of the day are actually going to unionize. I mean, I did some research, a little bit of digging to figure out how many Starbucks there were. First off, I had to look at it from a world point of view because it makes me wonder if the world is going to be able to unionize. And at least in the, I found about 34,000 plus, if I'm not mistaken, 34,317 Starbucks around the world. That's just around the world, okay? Obviously, I don't expect those to potentially unionize because most of these organizations are in the United States. But if you look at the Starbucks numbers within the United States, there are 8,947 company operated and 6,497 licensed stores, okay? So the 6,497 licensed stores, those probably will not be able to get unionized. The 8,947 though, that potentially could be an issue for Starbucks. And it's also interesting to point out as well that Starbucks, they have about $6.61 billion of cash on hand, okay? I mean, this is one reason too why Microsoft is potentially going to have issues when they merge with Activision is because apparently I guess Activision has some union workers within their company and Microsoft doesn't. And I mean, the union thing, I mean, Starbucks is pretty decent when it comes, if I'm not mistaken, for pay. I think I remember I was talking to a friend of mine recently and she said that she was making about $17 at Starbucks. But she was also only working like three days a week, but she was happy with that. She prefers being able to just work three days a week and spend time with her kids. That's her choice. Okay. Obviously, there's some people who probably make Starbucks their career for being able to provide this service. And so, I mean, like we just read, only 50 of these, 50 of these Starbucks have elected to join the Workers United. So at the end of the day, and then it's, let's see, five stores have voted against the union out of the roughly 240 altogether. So it makes me wonder if this movement actually will get bigger for Starbucks or if it's just going to be these small chains of stores that are going to get it. I don't know. I mean, 
I I don't see the six thousand because the six thousand are probably they're licensed stores, so I don't see that happening there. So I don't know things to pay attention to. I mean, Amazon's probably going to unionize potentially, but just wondering how it's going to affect prices for Starbucks in the long run if this does happen, though. But next article. U.S. lawmakers to open chips, China bill negotiations. Now, this article to me, I believe should have been talked about a little bit more on Friday or on Thursday when it was released, but sadly it was not. According to Washington Reuters, members of Congress will meet Thursday, which has already happened, to open negotiation as the compromise measures that would fund the $52 billion in semiconductor manufacturing subsidies and boost U.S. competitiveness with Chinese technology sources, told Reuters. The, the Senate passed its version of the bill in June of 2021, while the House passed a similar bill in February. More than 100 House and Senate lawmakers have been named to a conference committee committee that will meet for the first time Thursday. Con- Congressional aides said it will still take months before the final agreement is reached. A persistent shortage of chips have disrupted the automotive and electronic industries, forcing some firms to scale back production. Quote, it's crazy it's taken this long, Senator Mark Warner told Rutgers on Thursday. He noted that since the United States began considering incentives, other countries like Germany have announced and finalized new chips incentives. Warner said some majority investments in in new U.S. chip production could be jeopardized without actions from Congress. On Wednesday, the Senate made more than two dozen motions to instruction negotiators on a range of issues. Although the motions were not binding, they convey a sense of what the senators would like to see in the final bill and what could keep it from getting enough votes to become law. The Senate bill approved in June had $52 billion for chips and authorized another $200 billion to boost U.S. scientific and technological innovations, but then stalled in the House. This is kind of a big deal, okay? When you actually do research to figure out where the chips are technically made around the world, okay? The top five currently right now, at least from Q4 of 2021, 65% of chips are made in Taiwan. And this is all from techvalue.com, okay? 65% from Q1 come from Taiwan. That's number one. Number two, 15% comes from South Korea. The United States is number three at 7%. China's at 6% and number four. And other is 7% around the world. Taiwan makes most of the chips, okay? That's insane that that island makes that many chips, okay? In that same article, I believe it was, that I think it was like 90% of the world's come from Taiwan because that's where a lot of the manufacturers go to make the chips, but at least from Q4 numbers, Taiwan was at 65% of the world's chips, okay? 65% from one tiny island in the Pacific Ocean. Kind of a big deal, okay? Especially if China, I mean, China's the other 6%, that's at least 71% comes from one area of the world. That's kind of scary to think about. I mean, a few months ago, or a about a year, it was about a year ago, almost, I had to get a new chip in my car. And there was only two in the entire North American continent. And I had to order it from Kansas to get it to California. We need to start making our chips here. 
because there could potentially be issues in the future. Okay. This is from networkworld.com. Intel's Gesslinger predicts chip shortage will run through 2024. Intel CEO linked the ongoing chip shortage to a lack of manufacturing equipment and difficulty building semiconductor fabrication plants. Intel CEO Pat Glensinger expects chip shortages will continue until 2024 due to a lack of manufacturing equipment and tools to make the chips. Glensinger made the comments during an interview with CNBC's Tech Check about Intel's first quarter earnings. While the company did well in Q1, the outlook for Q2 is not positive, and Intel stock took a hit for it. Semiconductor manufacturers have faced a number of challenges to meet the demand, most notably production shutdowns due to COVID-19, the COVID pandemic. However, Glenn, Glenn Singer specifically linked the shortage to a lack of manufacturing equipment and difficulty building new semiconductor fabrication plants or fabs. Quote, that's part of the reason that we believe that the overall semiconductor shortage will now drift until 2024. From our earlier estimates in 2023, just because the shortages have now hit equipment and some of the factory ramps will be more challenged, Glenn Singer said on a program. While there are a number of chip fabrication companies on the lower end of the production line, Dutch company ASML Holdings is the only one capable of making extreme ultraviolet EUV technology, which is used to make chips under 10 nm. And ASML recently said it could only fulfill 60% of orders for chip making tools this year. Quote, the demand for the demand we are currently seeing comes from so many places in the industry. ASML CEO Peter Winnick said in an earnings call with analysis two weeks ago, it's so widespread. We have significantly underestimated the width of the demand, and I don't think it's going away. I mean, it says later on in the article, to put it another way, what do you think is the bulk of the cost of those 20 billion fabs that Intel's uh, committed to building in Arizona? It's certainly not the buildings or the power or the HVAC. It's going to be interesting to see how this whole semiconductor or the chip shortage, how it potentially could go on till 2024. I personally think that it could go even longer. And the only reason I say that is we haven't even started production as much for in the car industry as we've talked about with the shortage of imports of cars currently. And talking to a friend who's really big into building computers, he says he's having a hard time finding chips as well sometimes. I mean, even companies like, like for instance, if you guys have heard of a company called Nightscope, which is a robot security company, they potentially have chip shortages as well, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's go, it goes everywhere. It goes from iPhones to robot securities to uh, cars. I mean, some of these companies probably have to get their chips ahead of time, potentially at the end of the day. But you just never know. This chip shortage is, it's going to be interesting to see at the end of the day. What's going to happen? How is this going to affect things going forward? Don't know. I don't have all the answers to that currently. But it just seems like you'd have to get your chips ahead of time. You would. Because if you don't, you're going to have uh, bottlenecks in your manufacturing process to build the to build the products that you're looking for. So, but it's going to be interesting to see. 
this this chip shortage companies probably got to order in advance for everything and it's gonna affect almost every part of the economy so with that being said guys thank you so much for listening to today's podcast i hope you've enjoyed it and that you would uh, please like and share this podcast with friends and family if you think they'd enjoy it as well markets interesting at this time that being said guys thank you so much for listening to today's podcast thank you and goodbye